from Psalm 103. I'm going to read verses 13 and 14. Psalm 103, a Psalm of David, verse 13. Like as a father pitieth his children, so Jehovah pitieth them that fear him. For he knoweth our frame, he remembereth that we are dust. Let us pray. O Lord our God, we thank thee for thy pity, thy compassion, thy mercy demonstrated so conspicuously to us in the gift of thy dear son, thy darling son, thine only begotten son. Our Father, we do ask that thou would teach us through thy word, Father, to embrace this compassion, this pity that thou hast demonstrated, even like a father. Help us to live before thee as thy children, adopted by the spirit of adoption, adopted by thy grace. And, O Lord our God, as we read and discuss how that thou dost know our frame, Father, help us to seek to know our frame better and remember that we are but dust. Father, we pray that thou would bless the preaching of thy word, thy truth, and that we would be given the spirit to embrace it. O oh Lord our God, that our wills might be affected such a way that they would be bent more and more day by day toward thy will unto that ultimate day when they are melded together as one. Father, we ask that thou would do these things for our good, for our happiness, but ultimately, O oh Lord our God, for thy glory for the magnifying of thy name, for the exaltation of thy Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. We looked at verse 13 last week. We're looking at verse 14 this evening. For he knoweth our frame. He remembereth that we are dust. Verse 14 is, of course, largely the explanation of verse 13. The Lord's pity for his people, his children. Pitying those children who are described as those that fear him. And so verse 14 explains why the Lord is compassionate, why he pities his children. We're told that he knows our frame, our constitution, we could say. That is, I would submit how we were constituted. How? were we constituted, because he constituted us. We read that, of course, in Genesis, uh, at the beginning of the scriptures. We read in Genesis 1, 26 and 27, and God said, let us make man in our own image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, 
and over the birds of the heaven and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. And that's followed up in the next chapter in the seventh verse of chapter two. More express, more detail we might say, and Jehovah formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living soul. Jehovah formed man of the dust of the grounds. This is where I believe that the well-known funeral or burial liturgy has been taken from, where some churches use this, uh, these lines, for as much as it has pleased Almighty God to take out of this world the soul of this man, woman, or child, we therefore commit his, her, their body to the ground, earth to earth, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. Of course, it's more express in the scriptures, and it would seem that these churches that have formulated this liturgy for a funeral or for a burial service perhaps could be satisfied to use the word of God, the scriptures as they're found in Genesis 3 after the fall and after the pronouncement of the coming seed of the woman. But we read in Genesis 3, 17 and 18, cursed is the ground for thy sake, in toil shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life, thorns also and thistles, shall it bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread, till thou return unto the ground. For out of it thou wast taken, for dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return. That seems rather satisfactory, does it not? And God, in his omniscience, remembers precisely how he formed us out of the dust. He was there, that helps. He knows exactly how he formed us because he was there and because he did it, he constituted us out of the dust. He witnessed all that he had done. And so therefore, he knows our frame. He knows our constitution. And therefore, he also fully knows our frailties, all our frailties, and all our weaknesses. He knows all about us, all these frailties and weaknesses for which he pities us. He remembers exactly the time, the place, and the circumstances of our new birth as well. Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord Jehovah pities those who fear him. He knows the frame and he remembers. He remembers the dust from which they were formed. He remembers that we are dust. We may sympathize or empathize perhaps even with this pity shown by the Father by remembering the birth of our own children into this life. Some may have 
proceeded easily. That is to say, some may have delivered children easily. They may have been delivered swiftly without uh, much struggle, if we can put it that way. But some perhaps took a great deal of time and a great deal of pain to deliver children. Excruciatingly long waits sometimes for our firstborn. We surely all have had different experiences. The experience of one is not the experience of another necessarily. We've all had different experiences as mothers, as fathers. Yet we certainly, and this is the point, we certainly recall the incident. We certainly recall the time and the occasion of the birth of our children. We recall that. And even if we don't recall everything about it, perhaps it's been a number of years ago, yet we certainly recall the frailty of their infancy. Looking at newborn children is usually a beautiful experience. But as beautiful as they are and enjoyable as they are to look at for the first time, it's hard to ignore the conspicuous fact of their frailty. They are tender. They are frail. They are weak. They are in a weak condition. They are in a weak state at the point of just having been delivered. But we can sympathize somewhat with what God is speaking of here as we understand that he was there when man was created. He was there when each one of us was born. Whether we were aware of it at the time or not, he was there. And again, we have all had different experiences as mothers and fathers, but God was there. And how wonderful, how wonderful to know on that occasion that God is watching as well, that God is near, and that he has this compassion and this pity for his children. Again, we certainly recall the frailty of the infancy of our newborns. How helpless they appeared, how helpless indeed they were. We cannot but recall their early whimpers, their early cries, their squeaks and squeals of pain, perhaps. Their squeaks and squeals of joy, perhaps. Often did we not find ourselves pitying them, weeping with them, being, feeling this strong pathos, this sympathy for their needs as they struggle to express what those needs are. We cannot help but relate this language in Psalm 103 of the father pitying his children. We can relate to our own circumstances in many ways. But our Father knows our frame, and he remembers that we are dust. I was going to use a, try to use an illustration from a, a space movie, but I don't know if I should. Mark already got off into space this morning with his illustration, but nonetheless, I couldn't come up with anything very good. I try to make an illustration of how important it is that God was there 
and he formed man and he witnessed and he was there and involved in all of it. And I was reminded, whether it's good or bad or indifferent, I was reminded of a film where an elderly former uh, pilot and uh, space adventurer was being sought out because there was a problem with a Russian satellite. And it was discovered that the problem with this satellite was the uh, the, the, re, the problem was with this instrument on the spaceship, the guidance instrument on that spaceship, the guidance system was designed by this American space pilot. And so as much as this man that was in the, at the head of NASA at the time, they had had issues in the past, as much as he hated to ask this man for a favor, he went to him anyway. But the only point I'm making in the, in the illustration as it came to my mind was that he was going to the one that had made this guidance system, the one that had designed it and tested it and so on, the one that was familiar with it. That's the best person to go to send into space to try to fix whatever the problem is. And isn't that true with our own children so often that we know them better, parents know their children better, generally speaking, than others. And we are best able to meet their needs and to fix whatever the problem is. And that's exactly the very same reason that God is able to take care of us so wonderfully, so magnificently, so majestically because he created us and he knows our frame and he remembers that we're dust. We pity our children. We often recall perhaps some delicate issues of their difficult births. Many of us have had those situations, but we watch them born now, I confess that I didn't watch any of my children being born. That was actually before the, the practice actually came in to place where fathers were permitted into the delivery room. Uh, I'm not sure that I'm complaining about that, but I'm just stating it as a fact. I can't say with many others that I saw my children actually born, but their mother and I watched them grow God watches us grow. We watch them grow. We know something of their frame. We know if they have difficulties in this area or that area. We know if they might have weak ankles, for example. We know, uh, we learn that they're left-handed or right-handed. We learn about their frame. We know their frame and we remember their frailties. We recall their growth or lack thereof in some cases. But we recall their growth and their illnesses, accidents, the first time with their own baseball mitt, perhaps. I remember humorously my oldest son, I think he was probably only three or four, but 
I thought it was time for him to have a baseball mitt, so I bought him a baseball mitt. And I gave it to him, and, and what do you know, he put it on his right hand. I thought, oh no, he's left-handed. So I took it back to the store and got him a left-handed mitt. <laughs> and he put it on this hand. So I didn't know what to do. I just let well enough alone, and it, it worked out. And uh, I still don't know whether he was left-handed or right-handed, and he's 55 years old now. <laughs> I say that because I think the school took it upon themselves to uh, force him to be right-handed. He's got beautiful penmanship. But we remember things about our children's growing up. And God is telling us in these passages that he's our father that cares for us. He compassionates us. He pities us. He watches over us. And he knows us better than anyone else in the entire system of space or whatever. He knows better than anyone, infinitely better. He remembers our creation that we are but dust. He knows all about us. He knows our needs better than anyone else. But we remember our children growing up, their first time on a two-wheeler maybe, their first time driving a car, their first date. God knows all these things about his children, and his children may be 20, 30, 40 years old. They're not children in our eyes anymore, but they're his children in his eyes. And he follows them as they learn this, as they experience that. And he's compassionating them. He's pitying them. He's caring for them. I remember thinking about these things. First dry time driving a car, first date, first scare. I remember my second son when he was about just several years old, that he had to go to the doctor. He, something wasn't right, he wasn't feeling well, and so on. At any rate, I was on the afternoon shift during that period of time, <clears throat> and uh, not by design. I was preparing to leave for work in the afternoon. The phone rang, and my wife answered the phone, and it was the doctor calling with the results of the tests that he had made upon Christopher. And he, he said, it's one of two things. It's either mononucleosis or leukemia. Like, do we get, it, do we get to choose? But anyway, that, that's all that, all that we were told. And without having time to think or respond or react, I got on my motorcycle and headed for work. Had a 45-mile ride to work. I got up into the locker room and was about to get into my coveralls, and it hit me. I thought, I can't, what am I doing here? At any rate, talking about the care of a father for his children. What am I doing here? I went and got my foreman and told him I'd already punched him, but I'm not staying. I'm, and I told him why, and he said, well, if you feel you have to go, go. So I rode that 45 miles back on my motorcycle, tears streaming. 
because of compassion for my son and concern for him. God feels that way for his children. It's the point I'm trying to get across. He's using the illustration like as a father. He cares about us. He cares about these issues. He cares when we have to face a job decision. He cares when we have a child that's ill. He cares about everything about us. Like as a father, pity of his children. Does God shed tears for us? As I was just speaking of myself. Does God shed tears for his children? Well, I would submit that if we read in Matthew 23, Matthew 23, that we can... Uh, Embrace that thought in the person of Jesus Christ. Is Jesus Christ God? I trust we all know that he is. But we read in 2337, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, that killeth the prophets and stoneth them that are sent unto her. How often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings, and ye would not. Behold, your house is left unto you desolate. For I say unto you, ye shall not see me henceforth, till ye shall say, Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. I know it doesn't say he was weeping. I know it doesn't say he was crying. But can we imagine him uttering those words, so that pathos, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, without tears. And of course, we know that he did cry at the tomb of Lazarus. Do you remember that in John chapter 11? That verse, it seems to get most attention because it's supposed to be the shortest verse in the Bible, even though the, the verse divisions aren't inspired. People like to get excited about that being the shortest verse. Jesus wept. But we read, when Jesus therefore saw her weeping, Lazarus' sister, and the Jews also weeping who came with her, he groaned in, his, in the spirit and was troubled and said, where have you laid him? They say unto him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. God weeps for his people. Jesus wept. The Jews therefore said, behold, how he loved him. God loves his people. We all understand and know that. But he also cares for us. He meets our needs. He has this compassion, this pity, this sympathy for us. I submit that God does weep over us, weep for us, weep about us. Like as a father pitieth his children. So Jehovah pitieth them that fear him. For he knoweth our frame, he remembereth that we are dust. In Psalm 139, at verse 11, we read, again, a Psalm of David, we read these words speaking about birth, speaking about the things that only God the Holy Spirit could reveal to this prophet David. 
But David wrote, If I say, Surely the darkness shall overwhelm me, and the light about me shall be night, even the darkness hideth not from thee. He knows our frame, even the darkness hideth not from God, David is saying. But the night shineth as the day, the darkness and the night are both alike to thee. It makes no difference. It makes no difference whether it's dark out or whether it's light out, whether it's noon or whether it's midnight, whether I'm out here on the sofa or whether I'm in my mother's womb. It makes no difference. He knows our frame. He remembers that we're dust. For thou didst form my inward parts. He formed them. He knows them. Thou didst cover me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks unto thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. God knows all about us because he is the one that put us together, if I can put it that way. My frame was not hidden from thee when I was made in secret. Yes, it was secret to everyone else, but it wasn't secret to God. Our frames were not hidden from God when we were made in secret and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. No one else can see us, but God can see us. God caused us to be conceived and he sees us through that entire period of pregnancy and he watches over his children just like that like as a father pitieth his children. He goes on to say, Thine eye did see mine unformed substance, and in thy book they were all written, even the days that were ordained for me, even when we were being formed in our mother's womb. The psalmist under inspiration is telling us that our days were numbered even before we were born, and they were written in God's book, the days that were ordained, when as yet there were none of them. We hadn't lived outside our mother's womb that first day yet. God knows all about it. How precious, he says, also are thy thoughts unto me, O God. How great is the sum of them. If I should count them, they are more in number than the sand. When I awake, I'm still with thee. I was with thee all this while. When I was in my mother's womb, when I was growing up, when I was coming into teenhood, when I was growing into manhood, you were with me. You knew all about me because you formed me. And you remember that I'm but dust. It's like the watchmaker, like a watchmaker, knowing exactly how to set the watch, knowing exactly how to repair the watch, like a watchmaker that watches his masterpiece, knows its workings inside and out, we might say, and can repair it because he knows it. He knows it because he made it. He knows it because he created it. Now understand this, I'm not talking about some people's watchmaker, that watchmaker that the deists claim that their God just wound it up and it's just observing it winding down. That's not what I'm talking about at all. I trust you understand that. But this is true. 
that God made every one of us. Every one of us. He is our creator. We are his children if we are in Christ Jesus and if he put us in Christ Jesus from before the foundation of the world. We looked at that last week. Talking about his children like a father pities his children, so Jehovah pities his children, those that fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. Is this not equally true? Must it not? equally true of the body of Christ. We read in Hebrews 10.5, but a body didst thou prepare for me. I'm not talking about Jesus' physical body. I'm talking about his body, the church, his people. Is this, are these things not equally true of the body of Christ, the church, his body that he left on earth when he ascended to his Father's right hand. Are these things not true of the body of Christ? Is God not watching over his son's body even now? And we could even go over that Psalm 139 and, and speak about the darkness uh, and, and so on. And that the darkness didn't hide the church from God. Those who were his people. Those whom he had placed in Christ from before the foundation. He knew about them even though the world was in darkness. And as men began to be born. As men began to fill the earth. As we read in Hebrews 11. As we had our Abels and our Abrahams and, and our Davids and so on. God was in control of all this. This family of his. Those whom he had placed in Christ. Who would be saved through the blood of the Lamb of God in time. He knew all about them, the darkness, the darkness of the times. The ignorance of the world did not hide this from him. He knew all about them. He knew all about every single member that was going to be a member of the body of Christ. God, as I've said, is no supernatural watchmaker that just winds the watch up and then lets it run down. He has ordained the body of his son from the foundation of the world. He has given life to every member of that body. He has given new life, regenerated life to every member of his son's body, the church that he is building. Just as he builds us up physically, heals us often, meets every need, provides our daily bread, just as he is building us up and he's building his church up. Every member, just as he takes care of our arms and our legs and every member of our bodies, so with his son's body, the church, he takes care of every member. The darkness hides us not from him. Though David speaks in that psalm of inward parts, that doesn't hide any of his people from himself. We may be fearfully made. We may be made in secret, secret from men, fearfully made going through all kinds of persecutions as many over the centuries have. But God knows all about it. We may have been curiously wrought. Everybody isn't brought to Christ in the same way. Everybody doesn't have 
a Damascus Road experience like Paul or Saul, making him to be Paul. But everyone who is brought to Jesus Christ experiences regenerating grace. Everyone who is being spoken of here, everyone who is written in the book of life experiences God's regenerating grace from God the Holy Spirit. And that's how Christ's body has been being builded up and is being builded up through the new birth, through the regenerating grace that is poured out upon all those for whom Christ has died. I believe that this body, as I've already said, we can speak of Christ's body, the church. And God has known that body from the foundation of the world, even as he knew about us from the foundation of the world. And because the church is made up of people like us, everybody that is in the church through regenerating grace of the Holy Spirit is part of that body, every member, whether it be a foot or an eye or a hand, every member, and God is watching over it. Even though sometimes when, you, when you're involved in an auto accident, you think things aren't going so well. And maybe there are times in the church when it seems things aren't going so well. But know this, that God is watching over it. And he will take care of it. It's the body of his son. You know what Paul has to say about the body of Christ in Romans in the 12th chapter. Romans in the 12th chapter. Paul says in verse 4 of chapter 12, For even as we have many members in the body, and all the members have not the same office, so we who are many are what? One body. One body in Christ, and severally members one of another. One body. And this is duplicated and expanded upon in his epistle to the Corinthians in the 12th chapter. He says in Verse 12, for as the body is one and hath many members and all the members of the body being many are one body, so also is Christ. One body. We're baptized in one spirit. We're one. And in Ephesians, Paul expands on that in Ephesians chapter 4. We find... In verse 11, and he gave some to be apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints unto the work of ministering unto the building up of the body of Christ till we all attain unto the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a full-grown man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ that we may be no longer children tossed to and fro and so on. One body, the body of Jesus Christ, the church. It's his body, it's his bride. And 
the Father takes care of the body of his Son. Like as a father pitieth his children, so Jehovah pitieth those that fear him. He takes care of his son's body because those are the very ones that are being spoken of here. The children of God, the sons and daughters of God, the bride of Jesus Christ. The bride of Jesus Christ. And one day, of course, he will return. And that sound will go forth. Behold, the bridegroom. And you know about the virgins in Matthew 25. How that some had oil in their lamps and some did not. Those that God was taking care of, providing for, had oil in their lamps. Those were who, that were doing what God had directed them to do, commanded them to do. And having given them new hearts to continue the analogy they had oil in their lamp and they went in to the marriage supper of the bridegroom. And when the others showed up, the door was shut. There's that division. God was watching over some and not watching over others. Like as a father pitieth his children, God was watching over those for whom Christ died, and he continues to do so. He's been building the church of his son. His son has been building his church. God, the Holy Spirit, has been building his church, and it shall be built. It will be built because God is watching over it. Let us pray. Our Father, we do thank thee for the church. We thank thee for the understanding that it is indeed the body of Christ that the head of the church is at thy right hand, ever living to intercede for us. We praise thee for that. We thank thee for thy pity for thy people. Father, we thank thee for thy compassion. We thank thee for thy son who prays for us. We thank thee for God, the indwelling Holy Spirit. Continue, we ask, Father, to build thy church. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You'd stand for the benediction. It's very brief from 1 Peter 5, 6 and 7. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your anxiety upon him, because he careth for you. Amen.